Welcome to No Hype, the podcast about truth, science, and the future of marketing. Brought to you by your hosts, Allison Dietz and Brett House. Today on the podcast, we have Tina Moffitt. Tina is a marketing analytics expert with 20 years of experience in the key components that make marketing tick customer data management, media planning and activation, and advanced marketing analytics techniques. She currently works as a principal analyst at Forrester, where she focuses on prescriptive and predictive marketing analytics and the technologies that help bring insights into action. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Welcome, Tina. Uh, absolutely thrilled to have you on the, on, on No Hype. Um, wanted to kind of start with a, with an easy question for you, uh, or maybe it, it'll get more difficult as we go along. But uh, you know, CMOs, I think, with a lot of the changes, both in the media ecosystem, with uh, the recession or the threat of a recession, uh, are being sort of asked as they always have been, I think there's a bit more pressure now to kind of prove the impact of their investments, right? And there's a lot of scrutiny on their budgets. What are the key challenges that you uh, are seeing from brands that you speak with when it comes to their ability to prove the impact of their marketing ROI? Great question. It seems that lately we've been hearing a multitude of internal brand challenges, and then external uh, challenges. I think the biggest challenge is certainly data deprecation, um, specifically uh, Google's intention to deprecate the third-party cookie. You know, the third-party cookie is a mechanism used to do all digital media and marketing initiatives. It is the mechanism to track, to target, to help personalize so that that becomes a tremendous challenge to measure at a uh, ads at a tactic level. Privacy concerns, you know, we have more and more consumers becoming aware of um, of brands tracking them, and they're actually opting out when they go to a website of how a brand uses cookies um, and opting out being tracked. And we see an inc- increase in that. Certainly, I think there's an increase. Um, in terms of media fragmentation, uh, especially in the connected television, OTT, and uh, streaming radio. And I think that is ushering in this increase in siloed walled gardens beyond just Facebook, Amazon, and Google. You know, and that makes it hard for brands to extract very granular level information out of those ecosystems. And then consumer buying behaviors have changed. I think about like just having a Amazon Echo in the house, and you see a TV ad, and you uh, you need uh, for diapers, and you need to order diapers. You can just say, "Oh, Alexa, order me some diapers," and it arrives at your house. I mean, that is the span of like ten seconds, right? So measuring the efficacy of that media spot to the purchase becomes really challenging to do. So that's just externally, right? Internally, I think there's always been challenges with um, coordination across different functions and even within marketing, managing agency relationships and expectations of measurability uh, with the agencies. But also, I think just CMO buy-in, buy-in and just them getting comfortable with machine learning algorithms to help measure and optimize their marketing plans. We see this increase in challenges of... Uh, understanding what's what's going on under the hood. Yeah, and, and they, with the machine learning algorithms, you're just adding more of a black box to what's already fragmented and pretty complex 
ecosystem and you don't really know what's going on beneath the hood. But do you think that that machine learning approach is becoming more necessary in order to not only resolve identities, link data signals, um, add some sort of predictive layer, like in the case where you don't have the signals that you need, but you can, with the data you do have, have some level of accuracy in terms of predictive capabilities. I mean, what what do you think the role of that is? Sure. So way back when, when I was uh, in grad school for econometrics and, and started building these models, it was um, very straightforward in terms of if you built a, an econometric model, regression model, or any type of different approaches to measure marketing efficacy or to build segmentation. It was very easy to explain, right? For uh, some people, or, let's be clear. Easier, easier <laughs> to explain. For someone who has masters in, in econometrics, is yes, easy to in explain. In my mind, it's easy. Um, but when we... When um, there was a rise in technologies that enabled more advanced machine learning approaches, like like a very complex neural network, it became harder to explain. Yeah. And I think um, I think that's part of the challenge. But also, I think what marketing leaders need to realize is more advanced approaches is needed because of a few things. One is we have more um, touch points. We have different types of media. We have different data, performance data, Mm -hmm. that is a result of viewing media or like opening an email, right? You have clickstream data, you have email open rates, and then all of a sudden you have GRPs and impressions and now other kind of newer metrics like attention. So all these different types of data points and the, the altitude of the data requires more advanced machine learning approaches. And that is why machine learning is necessary. Therefore, it becomes very important for a measurement partner or broader marketing analytics partner to counsel the CMO and their clients into understanding the types of approaches that they're taking. And, and, and that is required to build confidence in the results and and just an overall le- level of comfort. But when you look at machine learning, isn't it true that you're talking a lot about the different sources? Isn't it true that the, it's only as good as the data that you put in? And as, as, as much as you can train the models to do, you know, what you want them to do, it requires that, you know, strong, accurate data signal. So, you know, I feel like that's, it's interesting that you're talking about a multitude of signals, but you know, how do you not only counsel the, the, the CMO and the leadership team around the different mechanisms that you're using, but also the data aspect of the data that goes in has to be in, in a really good format. And, then, and we have to look at all the available signals to us to ensure that we train those models accurately. What are your thoughts on that data element? It goes back to educating marketers who may not be as in the weeds with the data around the data that you do have access to yep. um, and uh, and level setting expectations of data that you can get access to and the quality of the data. And I think it's really important to talk about the, within the quality, to talk about things like the nuances of the data. So if you have Clickstream data, you may only have a certain amount of time within the clickstream to look back on. And these are the reasons. 
if you have outliers within the data, you need to normalize for that and, and explain the reasons why. I, and I think you need to do it in a way that counterparts can really understand. Um, so it's not too technical. You're non-data science yeah, counterparts, exactly. right? Which oftentimes like, the CMOs are, right? Yeah, like, look, like we we need to stop ex- expecting marketers to have a deep data science background or even a deep data or analytics background. What we need to look for in a, in a good partner on the brand side and on the service provider side is somebody who's comfortable with not knowing, somebody who's comfortable with data and and with experimentation mm-hmm. and with looking, thinking creatively about how to source and use data. Speaking of the, the data topic mm-hmm. and sort of understanding the limitations of the data that you're pulling in, the lifespan of the data, what you can do with it, right? You've talked about observable and tangible data versus sort of intangible data and how, you know, we have to kind of revisit how we look at the data signals that we're receiving from whether it's creative, media, physical store information. Can, can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Sure. We're hearing a lot in in the media and through agencies and experts and different marketing and, and advertising trade associations about the increase in data, in, in signal loss. Signals are tangible and intangible data points about a customer and and about, you know, media performance. So a tangible one would be if I saw an ad and if I clicked on an ad. That's a behavior. That's a tangible data signal. An intangible one could be something like if I um, searched on a search term for a new car, right? I want to, you know, a, a station wagon or, or something like that. And, and um I I have interest in that, but that data is not captured. Maybe it, it could be a leading indicator or something like that. And that signal loss has increased because of the deprecation of the third-party cookie and because of the rise of walled gardens and the inability to kind of stitch together customer touch points, right? It's a reality of the situation. So therefore, we have to look at other data sources to infer which is the intangible performance, which clear. is intangible. Yeah. yeah the, the observable and tangible is where we're seeing data deprecation, cookie loss having an impact on. It's, right. it's pulling in those additional intangible sources to make inferences and to be able to have some level exactly. of predictive analysis around what you're right. Yeah. Got it. Right. And that becomes really important. So, so like, you know, looking at different aspects of like, was a creative, effective and doing that vis-a-vis a creative test becomes really important because you're gaining more insights about your audiences that may have viewed an ad, a certain ad that has a certain creative versus another ad that has a different creative. And what about that ad was appealing that um, can tell us a little bit about the audience? And I think those nuggets of information become really important as the increase in in signal loss uh, continues to happen. And so we find that marketers are starting to think about what other, what other signals that they can look at to evaluate, you know, not only marketing performance, but to just learn more about the customer, right? So, so we see that happening 
At the same time, we see this increase in investment in first party and zero party data to help supplement for the for the data loss as well. You've talked a lot about channel proliferation, you know, things like connected TV, retail media networks, an increase in different channels um, over the, the last couple of years. We just now talked a lot about the data signal loss that comes alongside with new and, and emerging walled gardens. In your role as a senior analyst, you know, you're seeing this expert on marketing measurement and you have all of these brands coming to you and asking you, what are the things that we should do to set up a successful measurement program? You know, how do you advise brands on what they should be measuring and maybe what they should be sort of ignoring as it relates to measurement? That's a great question. I think it's really important to figure out what specifically the business problem you're specifically trying to solve for or the marketing problem you're trying to solve for or the media problem. You start with that question. And I always advise advertisers to really think about the specific question that they want to learn. So it's not just, it it can't just be, hey, I want to understand the incremental value of marketing to business growth, right? That's kind of a given. <laughs> that's that's a given. But so the next question is, okay, well, what is something that's plaguing you today that you can't figure out? And oftentimes it's it could be like, hey, I made all this digital media investment or performance media investment. I want to understand if it's driving website traffic or if it's driving website conversions, like getting very specific on that. I think that's the first first hurdle. And then it starts to become a question of, do, does the brand have the right organizational structure, resources, and data to answer those questions? And the reason why that's so important is because you can measure all you want, but if if you can't take action on it, then, then what's the point? So it's really important to make sure that the organizational structure and kind of the process and the data governance is in place to even answer that question. Now, what I simply like, like in terms of the metrics, like what to measure for success, it needs to be tied obviously to the question, but is essentially, and I think we're getting bogged down with all these different data points, these metrics and these KPIs, so much so that we can't make a decision. And I like to try to simplify it. If you're measuring marketing and media efficacy at a channel or a program level, at the end of the day, what you want to look at is cost and action, right? How much did the media cost? What was my CPA's cost per acquisition? And what value did it drive for the business? It could be a sales conversion. It could be incremental revenue. It could be visit, if I'm a B2B company, a visit to the website, which is a leading indicator that eventually within a year, they're going to make a sale. So you have to have those specific outcome metrics. I think that also is important to look at those marketing and, and media um, cost and outcome metrics. And, and brand metrics too. We are seeing a lot of brands have this interest of side-by-side comparison of, you know, did this program drive sales? And then also did it drive brand equity, brand awareness, brand love? And those two things side-by-side can be really interesting. You know, we've worked with companies where you see, a campaign, a particular investment drove didn't drive a ton of sales, but drove a ton of brand. And a good example of that is like events. If you're looking at an events program, maybe you didn't go out and buy the product, but you built an affinity for the brand. That has a long-term impact. So I think brands are more so interested in kind of looking at those two things side by side. Yes. I think brand is a piece of long-term. I think it gets tricky 
to identify trends when you're comparing, yeah. like in the long term, you have it doesn't to move at, a lot. Does it? It doesn't move a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, if you're doing marketing and you have your marketing strategy and you have a complete shift in your value prop or your creative, and you want to measure perception of yeah. that, it may take some time. Yeah. How, how do you how do you think Tina you you accurately eliminate the noise sort of in your measurement approach in the sense of understanding what's really the what are the driving uh, either channels tactics mechanisms right so that you don't overcredit the wrong things because at, at the end of the day if a marketer needs to make adjustments right whether they're creative adjustments budget allocation adjustments channel adjustments targeting adjustments. You know, they have to have a clear understanding of what's really driving impact and they don't want to overcredit certain channels because they might be last click or they might be deeper funnel. How do you counsel clients on on that? You know, it kind of goes back to that notion of incrementality, which isn't the end all be all, but it helps marketers at least understand what's really driving this and in, in how do I see the holistic picture of everything that's influencing? I think certainly machine learning modeling can assist in that just because of the approaches are really sophisticated and can evaluate the different aspects of your marketing and media and what's really driving incremental value. But additionally, and I'm a strong believer in this, testing. You know, I think testing with a control group to measure uplift, if it's a well-designed test, can tell you without a doubt the value that marketing delivers. Problem with testing is it's, it's hard to scale. Yeah, that was that was exactly. I was going to be one of my questions. Let's double click on that. I mean, the notion of how do you scale this across audience categories, DMAs, campaign types? I mean, you know, you could have thousands of variations of tests, right? Mm -hmm. And then, how do you action on those tests in a way that's effective? I think number one is we have to be comfortable with the fact that you can't and shouldn't test everything. I don't think it's. I don't think it's necessary. Um, and I think to What should right, you test? Let's talk about I, that. Like, yeah, what should, should you test? I think you should test if you have a piece of creative or messaging that you've used for quite some time, maybe a year, and you want to test out a different positioning and a different creative. I think certainly if you've identified that that original test is a champion, I think it's a good exercise with every six months to a year to retest the creative. I think that's one. So to, to test creative wear out. I think second is if you're entering an, into a new market and you um, have a product and you're thinking about, okay, well, I know who I should target in like markets if I'm comparing market to market. So maybe I should test different or similar messages but to different audiences. I think that becomes, I think it becomes really important to test when you're entering into new markets. When you have existing uh, markets that sees an increase in competition, I think it's important to test because the increase in competition, marketing and media becomes really important when you have an increase in competition in a certain market and you're trying to capture more eyeballs or mm -hmm. attention as well. Promotion, if you have new promotion offers, you want to test different pricing points and promotions. So there's a variable of when you should be testing. So one thing I didn't hear you say, and, and I think it's oftentimes spoken or, or talked about in the industry is 
using randomized control testing as a way to validate your MMM. So validation. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear you mention that use case. Do you see that as important or is that something that you think is, is maybe a little bit more, you know, just current industry buzz? No, I think it's essential. I always encourage when, like I talk to a lot of marketers every year and when they're talking to me about like their marketing analytics approaches and um, building out different scenarios based on what has worked in the past or optimizing existing marketing budgets, they oftentimes don't feel comfortable with making budget shifts. Yeah. So my immediate recommendation is like, look, you test budgets, you build a test and that test will validate what your model is recommending. I think that's definitely uh, an important step within building a marketing analytics and a, and a measurement program is to have a cadence of testing to validate your model. Do you think that the, the fear to shift or, or the, or the uh, uh, hesitation to shift budgets do you think that's specifically because, like, don't break something that's working, right? Like, like this is a we, we got a well-oiled machine, more or less. Let's not let's not break it unnecessarily. Or do you think there's some organizational um, elements to that where people, you know, defending budgets, departmental silos? I mean, do you think it's a combination of those things? I think it is a combination of those things. I also think that if they're using an optimization model or a scenario planner. And if there's not appropriate constraints within that to say like, look, I don't want more than maybe 5% of my budget to shift across channel. I, I need to put constraints in there. And what is the optimal allocation across channels and different types of tactics and programs? I think that the model may give bigger recommendations to make bigger shifts Right. And, and that could put some hesitation in a CMO mind. They're moving from like, like <laughs> yeah. a gut check. I think a piece of, of that is making sure your models are, have certain constraints so that, that, you know, you're crawling and you're slowly walking before yeah. you're. I think that might be the most important lesson I learned as an MBA. I remember uh, I was, I had, I was part of an international management program at BU and I was in China and we were doing these as part of this program. And we were doing this where we had a group, a small team that was working, I think it was a pharmaceutical company, and they were they were doing a product introduction of like a cough medicine, and they had three or four different products, and there was cannibalization between products because a cough medicine with these three ingredients versus a cough medicine with these four ingredients. And the one thing, and you just, you'd make these adjustments to budget allocation, and, and the software would sort of tell you what the end result was. Mm. And the teams that failed in this process were the teams that made the biggest adjustments and kind of with, without, you know, being relatively informed and without testing, they would go and make these big adjustments to either budget allocation to shift because of fears or concerns or assumptions. And the teams that did the best were the ones that made incremental small adjustments and then tested and saw the impacts over time, but they weren't like these big splashes. So it's interesting that you say that because I think, I think there is hesitation to make big moves, right? Because you're not comfortable with the underlying data necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. I think the consumer of a lot of these insights, which is usually the CMO or a marketing executive, may not know they can test, may not fully get that like, hey, you don't need to make these changes. Let's make these small incremental changes and let's test and see what happens. 
And I think that testing becomes an, a crucial part of organizational acceptance and marketing, the marketing team really being more comfortable with using machine learning models. It seems like you're really pointing to this notion of, you talk about the system of insights, mm-hmm. right? And teams creating that. It seems like what you've just discussed on teams being more comfortable with not only decisioning, with the underlying data, with with everything they're doing, all the way up to the CMO. Is, th- is that what a system of insights helps uh, a marketing team create so that they've got kind of rules of engagement, best practices, and guides along the way? The way Forrester positions a system of insight is very similar to kind of how I think about kind of a holistic unified measurement approach for marketing, which is you have different analyses happening at the business at the same time. So for marketing, it may be like a marketing mix. For media, it may be kind of more granular media analytics. But then you also have like demand generation insights to understand what is the demand of certain products across certain DMAs, right? What are consumers, what do consumers need? You may have product insights in terms of how consumers are using the product and their overall feedback. So a system of insight is the concept of how do I take all of these insights and analyze it in a way that can help me make better overall business decisions at, a, at that portfolio level, but also help inform marketing help inform product development, help inform customer insights and how I want to treat the customer. I think that becomes really important as you're advancing your insights organization is to think about that as as a step along this journey. You mentioned customer insights. I feel like that's one of those things that doesn't oftentimes come up in the world of marketing analytics. It's something mm-hmm. that is done separately by in, you know, a separate team within the brands. So, you know, how do you see that kind of playing in and becoming a core component of, of rounding out and understanding marketing analytics more effectively? Yeah, I think they intersect. I've always felt this way. I yeah. think it, I mean, when, when we think about the basics of using customer insights with marketing insights, I mean, think about email marketing. You have a list of customers that may be high value customers and you know that they fall into this segment group and you want to test out different marketing campaigns and the end result is you're looking at uplift. And it, it, did they increase their average revenue per mm-hmm. their ARPU, right? Their average, average revenue per generating unit. And that becomes a core component. And I think that framework needs to be applied across all your advertising and marketing. Because if you if you just, and quite frankly, I think we lost marketing, lost its way a little bit for the past over several years in terms of embracing customer insights. I think it becomes really important as we're losing data signals to understand who your existing customers are, what's important to them, what are your main segments, how do they rate their overall experience with your brand to help you as a marketer target new audiences, identify who could be a long-term value customer. So it's this Mm -hmm. intersection of understanding what's effective in marketing in the short term, but also in the long term, am I driving customer value for the business and then value for the customer itself? I think it's an important intersection. Well, and you just mentioned that it that we've lost some of that in marketing. Is that because, and it sort of coincides with this, the increase in digital advertising, the increase in yep. data availability, mm-hmm. right? You could argue that that maybe an over-reliance on some of this data, which might 
kind of dehumanize some of the marketing? Like, who are you actually speaking to? And mean, and how are you developing that that trust with that particular end consumer? And then building a relationship for advocacy and for repeat purchases and stuff. I mean, do you, do you think that it, like those things go hand in hand? I mean, in terms of increase in data availability with the the advent of digital advertising, right? And our ability to just kind of maintain close relationships with with consumers, right? Almost as a direct parallel. Yeah, I totally blame digital advertising. <laughs> Specifically Google. No, I'm kidding. Throw it in. No, I think what has happened is that with, with digital advertising, it became initially a really low cost entry, mm-hmm. um, lower CPMs, more eyeballs. There was a less of a focus on on other ancillary considerations like frequency of ads delivered, mm-hmm. right? Quality of impressions, quality of audience because CPMs were low. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's shifting a bit. I think it's I think it's shifting right now. I think it's at the point where um, marketers are like, okay, well, we want to make sure the audience that we're targeting is a quality audience. So now we need to dissect that a little bit. We need to think about, okay, well, what is defined as a quality audience? Is it somebody that looks like your existing customer? Because it should be. Mm -hmm. It should be somebody who has the potential to be a high value customer. And I think we're headed down that path, which is a good thing. We need to bridge that gap, right? We need to help marketers to understand that it's not it's not only about optimizing against, you know, short-term ROI or the sale. That's important. And I understand you need to do that. I understand you need to have those those goals in the short term. I, I get that you're being gold against it. But I, I also think that um, you need to think about long-term if you're acquiring the right customer. We talked about, you know, the system of insights, all the different capabilities that you need, you know, a, a strong econometric modeling. You need to be able to set up a system of testing capabilities in order to both validate and also explore new creatives, new avenues for your marketing plans. We've talked about the organization you need in order to set up a successful marketing program and the data that you need in order to set up a successful marketing program. So obviously, Standing up advanced measurement is difficult, right? We just talked about all the different things you have to get right. So what do you see as the biggest roadblocks and what do you recommend marketers to start with? The number one roadblock is data. We know that through Forrester conducts our annual B2C global marketing survey. The biggest barrier to uh, making use of any measurement and analytics for marketers is uh, data quality, data access, that as I've been doing this survey for consistently for seven years, it's always been a problem. I think it's even more exacerbated. What is creeping up in there, though, in terms of a barrier is um, is organizational support and, and alignment, right? So mm-hmm. I think those are the number one, number two barriers. Because if you don't get that right, if you don't get the organizational piece right, you're never going to Get, you're not, you're not going to normalize your data. Your data is going to live in multiple places within yeah. the organization, right? And so then you have data quality issues, right? more so than maybe data access issues. But also that. you can't take action. I think that's the thing that you've yeah. been talking yeah. about the most, you know, is that if you can't get your organization in order, then, you know, essentially you've got a great econometric model that you're sitting there tooling yourself, but nobody else in the organization knows about the insights that come out of that thing. 
And so it's important that you have the organization and the people who can actually take action in the room so that you can ensure action is actually implemented. Yeah. And every few years I conduct a Forrester wave on the marketing measurement optimization service providers. And when I talk to, I talk to advertisers, right? So the wave participants, they give Uh me their clients. I talk to them. We have very honest conversations, right? And some of the challenges that they continue to face is actionability. Um, And, uh, but what, one thing that's very clear to me is that all of the clients that I've talked to, so I've talked to about, um, or advertisers that I've talked to during the wave process is about 30 to 40. Um, They all have very clear objectives, which I think makes them successful. And that is the first thing, is their objectives are very, very clear, very specific. They may have a roadmap of specific questions that they want to tackle, but because of that, they were able to go really far with their um, with their marketing analytics and continue to, to develop. So I think that's the number one best practice. And I think number two is that once you have that objective and understand what you want to gain from your marketing measurement program, I think it's a matter of get getting stakeholder buy-in. Mm-hmm. But very specifically what that means is identify who is the decision maker, who is the influencer, identify what their challenges are, and how you can alleviate those challenges through your marketing measurement program, through your marketing measurement strategy, right? And having a clear path to those three things becomes essential to gain that organizational support. I think it starts with the CMO. Every single advertiser that I've talked to over the years that has a transformative marketing analytics program started started with the executive team. That was ground zero and they built from there. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's how you get that cross-functional alignment, right? Yeah, well, and, and I think that's how you get the actionability that you're talking about. Because I mean, we've talked right. to agency leaders, all sorts of folks, and I always found there's a ton of data on one side, this ability to scale, at least traditionally scale your audience building and targeting approaches across multiple channels so you can reach a large number of people. But I found that what oftentimes has been missing is relevance, right? And the ability to connect, hey, I've created an, a segmentation schema and an audience program that has you know 150 different variations, but how do you tie that to you know relevant creative, relevant product presentation, which ties back to kind of an inventory management system if you're a retailer, right? I always found that the complexity of that um, is where people fall down, right? It's like you can have 150 audience segments, but if you can't connect the systems so that they're getting at the right ad kind of, you know, approach at the right time, right, that's relevant to their experience, then then is it all for naught? So, yeah. I mean, how, what are you hearing from an actionability standpoint in terms of connecting the dot between the decisioning engines that actually put experiences in front of us, the advertising, the personalization, and then all of the audience building and measurement stuff that's going on behind the scenes? I mean, how do you bridge those gaps? There is a soft organizational challenge there in terms of how to bridge that. And then there's a, the technical challenge. I think with the soft organizational challenges of you have this measurement program, you know what's working, you know which audiences you want to target, but there may be some challenges and, and hurdles you need to leap across to activate against these audiences. I think it goes back to, again, identifying where there are pockets of tests 
that you can work with your stakeholders to identify and then execute against, right? So that's the best practice there. On the technical side, I think we really need to level set of how can the audience, the measurement, the audiences can activate in certain channels, both online and offline. I think certainly on the digital side, marketers need to work within systems or ensure the systems that they're working with for measurability is connected to um, audience building. Because I think when you make the connection of who you've targeted in the past and the performance of an ad within that targeted audiences, you're going to be able to quickly, through your model, understand if you should optimize against what marketing asset you should optimize against and within what audience. And if you're connected to that audience through that system, you can kind of push out the recommendations from the audience into the, the media buying system. I think that's possible on the digital side, but I think everywhere else, it becomes really challenging from a technical standpoint to take your recommendations and then push them out into a system where you're targeting people. So I think marketers really need to think about when you have these recommendations, these different scenarios, and you have optimized media plans, how can you take those uh, optimize media plans and enable your agency to take action. And that may be through giving them access to certain tools so that they can evaluate, better evaluate what's working and and have the tools build plans for them so they can execute. Um, or it could mean you as a brand pushing out a media plan to your agency and having a discussion on what you want to optimize against. Because if your agency is buying media on your behalf, they can certainly, they certainly will welcome a data-driven approach to buy media. But what they can provide you as your agency is insights into what's happening within this complex media ecosystem and what seems to be working and the constraints of that. Because I don't want to downplay the role of, of the agency. I think the agency plays an important role in terms of other considerations. Uh, that that you need to think about as you're executing against these plans. Yeah, I've definitely seen that the most successful, actionable marketing analytics programs and setups involve the agency in a regular cadence where you're meeting and the agency is right there in the room. And I think that to your point, it starts with the objectives and the CMO and the senior leadership team sort of making that mandate. The expectation is that as a team, we'll work together to make and improve our marketing effectiveness. So I think you're right. One thing that you didn't touch on in, as it relates to activation is the data sharing aspect of sharing sharing data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you talked about sort of sharing the media plan, but audience ask, the audience insights and the audience data is also a key component of that and that data sharing. So one of the, thing, the other things that you've talked a lot about lately, and, and obviously we're excited to, to partner with you on a recent report around clean rooms. I'd love to hear your perspective around clean room and data collaboration technology. Yes. I feel like it's a, a natural step from, you know, talking about being able to activate those insights, you know, being able to take the data and actually share it is becoming more and more challenging in today's environment. And a lot of brands are more concerned about sharing their first party or, you know, zero party data with their agency or with their publisher partners. So, can you talk a little bit about the role that you see clean rooms playing in that ecosystem? Yeah, clean rooms. I volunteered to take on this coverage area of clean rooms and it just exploded over the past. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> <glad> it. 
<laughs> She's it's regretting it. It's been the bane of your existence for the last. Yeah, months. it's it's been um, a lot. I've taken a lot of calls from advertisers regarding clean rooms. It's funny. It's a term that that marketers have co opted. They've always existed. They're they're data collaboration yeah. tools. Clean rooms started off as a way for like a private equity company to share important M&A or investment banks to share important M&A information between two companies. And then, you know, marketers came in and like, oh, this is great. We'll just let's use this. I think the concept of a clean room, which is essentially a data collaboration tool, enables marketers or brands to share sensitive enterprise information with their partners. And I use the term enterprise to be a little bit more inclusive than just customer, because it could be anything that the the company deems enterprise. And the clean room is grounded in privacy enhancing technologies and security. And that's what make it makes it clean. So I think we're seeing this excitement around data clean rooms as a way to share data directly with a trusted partner. I wrote a report about the truth about data clean rooms and and, and, and I'll be honest, I think that um, we, we are closely watching the space. The benefit is actually on the data and the data management side. I asked this question in our quarterly CMO poll survey. And um, when you say data management, like data governance, data, data, data governance, and yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But the second thing that came up in terms of a benefit was measurement. And I think that is something that's interesting to me. Because what a clean room does, I think at this point, is is it reinforces um, uh, walled gardens, right? Because it's between a, it's brand a private and a publisher. Yeah, it's a private it's exchange private. of data. It's, yeah, right between two parties. But um, I think the measurement aspect is interesting because I think when brands say, oh, look, I can join my consumer transaction data with publisher A to get their impression and clickstream data and then measure efficacy. I actually think it's just counting at this point, right? I don't think the impression volume and the clickstreams are there for one-to-one unless you're dealing with the behemoth of the walled garden. It, it really is the, the, the multi-party aspect because you're talking mm-hmm. about one-to-one. So I can see the click data or the impression data and match that to my consumer conversion, but you're missing all of the other stuff that that consumer has seen. And so you have to be able to kind of stitch together multi-parties in order to see that. So you really need a partner that can enable that. Yeah, right? the, the multi-party compute exactly. aspect of this. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, brands are moving in this direction of having, if you've got a central cloud data warehouse, you know, with clean room, privacy enhancing technology capabilities, let's say a Snowflake or an AWS or whatever it might be. Do you think that type of setup, which is fundamental to their stack, is going to lead to a world where all of their partners can interact in one single place? So back to that actionability from an agency perspective, if an agency is building a media plan, shouldn't they be accessing transactional data, engagement data, clickstream data, all this stuff directly from that system of record that the brand's maintaining in the cloud, right? Without any passing of PII or, or, or sensitive information. Wouldn't that be the perfect world to prevent you from getting an ad that was something that you just purchased because the agency is incapable of connecting the dots between purchase behavior 
in their media planning, right? They need the data. They need access to the data. Isn't that the promise or no? I think brands are just not going to go down that route of empowering their agencies. If anything, I think a clean room is going to um, usher in a new era of brands saying, okay, well, we need data engineers that sit within the business, not within IT or that sits between IT and the business so that we can manage this relationship and this, and this data along with our clean room partner. And the agencies, I think, will be a recipient of these insights. There's no way a brand is going to give an agency. Well, I well, I wouldn't say there's no way. I would say it depends on how de-identified would, the yeah, data is, right? Exactly, exactly. Because if they can reverse engineer it, then then the golden goose of the brand. So, do you think it's more of a brand and partner, meaning meaning media owner, publisher? play right now and agencies are sort of on the outside looking in, right, as a recipient of maybe some of the insights? Is that more of what we're seeing? I think initially, yeah. I think, look, look, it's it's a little nascent at this point in time. And it's certainly something that we're going to we're going to see play out. I think it's it's an it's an avenue for marketers to do potentially direct buys, although I don't think that's super efficient. At this point in time, with just so much happening in the digital ecosystem, I think certainly that is a promise for brands to kind of gain ownership back. And for publishers too, right? For publishers to develop that. It's exciting and certainly something that we're going to look at. I think the main benefit, though, in my mind is not only measurement, but just deeper consumer insights, right? Understanding things like path to purchase and product usage and, you know, market basket analysis. I think that's the, that's the real benefit too. Absolutely. So before we go, let's just take a minute and imagine that you decided to leave Forrester. I know it seems like a shocking idea. You've been there for a while Um, and you take a role as a CMO at a major brand instead. Mm -hmm. What would you invest in first? What would you do next? And then what would come later? I think if I were to leave Forrester and become a CMO of a brand, I think first I would I would walk in and kind of really work internally to understand what my team needs, what the objective of the business is, and where is there a need for data and technology in order to make us as a brand more efficient and smarter. I think I would review my existing tech stack, both ad tech, martech, data, um, to determine the gaps and, and redundancies of where we have too much, because there's there could be too much tech investment happening at the same time. I'm impartial. I'm a marketing analytics person. I would really dive into figuring out what type of analytics we have to help me make better investment decisions and then figure out what are the right tools and technologies and partnerships I need I need to enable better analytics. But even before doing that, I would become best friends with my CFO. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great suggestion. Yeah. So that's what I I would do. And the reason why is because we know that market CMOs and CFOs are becoming partners and they're closely aligned. And that's because CFOs hold the purse strings. But more importantly, they're, they're kind of bringing CMOs back down to reality and saying, okay, what have you done for me lately? Right. What have you done for the business business. lately? And it's important. 
Um, that's an important question to ask the marketing organization. I would go out and try to figure that out through the analytics I have and make sure I enable my team to do that. Well, Tina, it was great to chat with you as always. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Great. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Tina.